64. Uh, <laughs> Whoa, I got to put on my shades. Uh, You're so bright. One more time. One yeah. more time from Zoomland. Yeah, man, we weren't going to do it, but, you know, oh. I got this, you know, the throat, you know. Do you anyway, have a throat? I think it's, I think this is cause for a celebration when we get back to our normal sketchy. Ready? Lift, separate my lips, sip. Holy torpedo. Uh, it's a bit early in the day for this, I think. Well, Mike, it's good to see you again, buddy. Great, man. I know. It's been, what, a month or something? Yeah, we, we have not been together for Boy, we've been... After a year of living out of each other's pockets, I almost feel like, you know, like a part of me is missing. Well, and, and this is weird now. So I'm looking down in a little screen down here. I'm looking at the camera. Which one should I look at? Um, look let, right there. You're looking at okay. everyone's Everyone can see. Well, it's so mind. weird because I'm not looking at anything but a little dot then rather than looking at you. Well, is this look, okay? Yeah. No, just, yeah. Look at the little dot. And I'm going to look at you this way and make sure that as the light changes in the room, I'm looking good, you know. Okay, that's good. It's good to do. So, um, yeah, do we want to give anybody an update of what's been going on, what, what's happened this month? What um, have we been doing? Sort of well, um, I traveled to Nashville a few weeks ago. I have relatives there. And uh, while I was there, I was able to get together with uh, Jimmy A and Tom Galata and Derry Doherty, Steve Hindelong. And we did a little hangout on a, one of the first shows we did uh, a few weeks back, if you'll recall. Then uh, we aired a interview with Aaron that I did previously. And then you interviewed Steve Griffith and since that time, the new Vector album has been uh, coming out and it's getting rave reviews. I'm very happy to hear how well it's doing already. So that's quite an accomplishment, man. Congratulations. I'm, I'm thrilled that you guys really pulled that off. I, I had didn't my think we were going to get <laughs> It took a while, you know, there was a kind of like a bird that flies into a house, you know, and start banging against the walls and he's, but he keeps flying, you know, and eventually found his way out. And now he's, it's just smooth sailing. Really? Yeah. Cool. Well, and then we then interviewed Mark, which was great to talk to him. Well, yeah. so, no, well back to Nashville, what were you doing there? What was uh, I was visiting my in-laws and then okay. I had to fly to Wisconsin because my uncle Ed, who many of you that are watching uh, had prayed for and fought the battle with me. He had COVID and he didn't make it. So I had to go and sing a song at his uh, memorial service. Mm. And it's a song that I've sung on our show. It's called When They Ring Those Golden Bells for You and Me. I did it, I don't know, about three months ago. Mm. And I'd like to do it again. So it was great seeing his siblings, my aunts and uncles, who are all late 80s, early 90s. I mean, my other aunt's like 93. Mm. And uh, Eddie was only 74, so he was like the... Mm. My dad's kid brother. You know? oh, that's a bummer. It was totally a bummer. Was he in poor health prior to that? Not at yeah. all. No, just the opposite. He was probably the most stalwart, you know, wow. real mensch, you know. So, so a, true, a true COVID casualty. Absolutely. Yeah, he was the least likely to wow. uh, have this happen. But, you know, 
that is what happened. And so I went and did that. But sure enough, while I was in uh, Tennessee, my niece got sick and then my other niece got sick and then their mom got sick. Then my wife got sick and I got sick. So mm. it's been kind of several weeks of battling this. When you're flying up and down in an airplane, if you have any congestion, as any of you out there know, it locks into your head. And then once it's in there, man, it's really, really tough to get rid of it. But I'm on the ups. I'm on the, I should be able to come over and sing no problem next week. Cool. All right. So, uh, so in the meantime, with Vector coming out, we're uh, putting the finishing touches on him show. So what we want to do with this show is uh, focus down a little bit on the material so that when it finally does arrive on your device, you will have a little bit more background about where some of these songs came from. And I'm really glad I did this research because I knew about a few of them, but uh, I learned an awful lot as I dug deeper into the origins of these songs and where they came from. It's an actually a very vital part of American musical history. And it's in sharp contrast to what we have today where everything is so packaged and controlled and copyrighted and it's, there's legal things about it. Back then people went around to people's houses and uh, collected songs you know, on the prairie, uh, out in the, uh, you know, in the mountains, in churches. Uh, they, there were so many different versions maybe of one tune and uh, guys like A.P. Carter who, from the Carter family. If any of you have watched that Ken Burns special on country music, I don't know if you've seen that, Bruce. No, I haven't. It's one of the most uh, amazing things I've ever witnessed because I actually learned about how uh, bluegrass, folk, country, blues, and eventually the more modern forms of all these things happened in America a hundred years ago. Because right. up to that point, music was just transferred via the same way the oral tradition was in writing years ago, where people would sing songs in their homes and in their public meeting places, and uh, someone would remember it and sing it somewhere else a year later, but the lyrics were different because they couldn't remember it all. They didn't write it down. So one thing uh, Mr. Carter did was he would go around and spend weeks traveling, you know, going to the highways and byways, get these songs, write them down, note, note them if he could, and then run to a publisher that, you know, publishing houses were starting to happen. And he would put his name on it and copyright it. And then he would end up being the guy who everyone said wrote it. But he, all he did was collect it, you know. Mm -hmm. So an awful lot of these tunes that we recorded, uh, some of them have that history. Some of them were actually written by uh, traveling evangelists, you know, people that went from church to church. Um, it's a really rich heritage. And I wasn't aware at the time that these 12 little tunes we picked have some of the richest history to them. You know, I just picked ones that I kind of knew or that I stumbled on on YouTube, you know, and uh, what I've come to find out is the reason why we like these so much, we've been working on this thing almost a year now and we never ever tire of hearing these songs. We, we don't tire of playing them, we don't tire of hashing over them. Every time I hear them, I, I get a big grin. It's because their history is rich and they have stood the test of time. So I'm very excited to uh, 
deliver this little, what was, we just thought of it as a casual little offering from our humble coronasphere, you know. Yeah, which, which we, which, which is always the, that's always the intention, you know. Yeah, we'll just do it real quick, you know. Just this time we'll just put a couple mics up and do it and. Well, we did do it. that. But um, the de- it seems like every time we start a record that way, we go deeper. You know, we yeah. start wanting to bring something to it. And it's not being buffed and shined, you know, to where it gleams. That's not no, we, what yeah. we're doing. Yeah. But if anything, we're doing just the opposite. We're spending time on finding these subtle little things that happen that aren't really featured. But when you hear them, they make the experience better and uh i think that's where you know our whole little operation kind of tends to get bogged down because we really do notice that stuff you know it isn't anyone can sit down and just run through a tune and sometimes you get lucky in fact there's a couple on here that are like that like the bible's right and i think drink and shine was that way a little bit where we didn't have to do too much but some of the other ones i'm a little bit fussier about because I'm in, I'm standing in, you know, shoulder to shoulder with guys like Elvis and some of these great gospel singers. It's the same as country singers. They're so good at what they do. So, you know, I walk in there and think, I, oh, I could do that, you know, and all of a sudden I'm listening to it. And I'm just going, no, no, no. Right. It's, it's, it's hard to create a placeholder for that type of thing. You need to, you, it needs to represent, you know, yeah. just the implication is that this is really the best you can do. Yeah, and, and that's what we're trying to do is do our very best so that when you listen to it rather than cringe, you're actually going, man, that's really nice, you know, so. But, but know. also also kind of duplicate that casual sense about it, like you're saying, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking just while we're, we're thinking about our process or you're talking about our operation, you know, it, it's hard for us to go in the studio and make a record and just pump it out as like as – it used to be where we'd go in with say an engineer at a studio in a yeah. little block of time. And that would be the time we'd have to work on it. Maybe do some solos and some overdubs and polish yeah. it up done with it. Whereas now, you know, now that we do it, we can, we just have a hard time getting anything done because we just don't, we, we just don't have to finish it. You know, I mean, uh, the, you know, we've promised it. That's why we make the promises so that we have some, some something. Goal. Yeah, some kind of deadline drawing well, us to the, the art of self, self-production is a very difficult thing to do. That's why I think a lot of, well, in the old days, record companies have what they call A&R guys, you know, artists and repertoire. They get the artists, they get the music, and then they bring them together and keep the ball rolling so that it didn't bog down. And eventually that, that changed to producers who were essentially doing the same thing. So when you do it yourself, um, you can just disappear up your own navel. You know, we've gotten lucky on many occasion and and sat down and did a thing and it was done. Like uh, everybody's got to pray sometime. I think we did that in one night, you know? Yeah. And I I'm, I marvel when that happens. But yeah, uh, uh, I think Dig My Heels In was a similar thing. Which kind of kind of like that. Like yeah. The one shot. Yeah. Or, or Rosebud. Rosebud, you know? yeah. Things yeah, like that where you just, they didn't well, even wasn't even a song hardly you know i mean i think i think we did something like sevens uh, you know did some stuff that was on der, or um, um ep i think we kind of cut all that at one time and then yeah. went back and filled in some gaps but uh yeah. but it, it was these were kind of short 
I, I think Tom Tom Blues was done very quickly too. Yes, it was. But yeah, we were under contract to a record company. There was a yeah. line, there was a tour, there was Cornerstone, you know. The, Cornerstone was the, the whipping boy of our career. They had to have it done. 20 it like, years, no matter what. You've got to have it done <laughs> in time to go play at Cornerstone right. to make all the money you spent making the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, without further ado, why don't we get into a little bit of music here? Um, cool, man. Yeah, so you want to, we had an idea well, to go ahead and kind of go over, do you, you want to share some notes on, yeah, you, you want to kind of touch a, all of them? A little bit of background, not much, depends on the okay. tune, but, uh, and I don't have to sing the whole tune, but, you know, I can sort of give a taste. Most of you out there listening to this, if you've been following us, have heard these songs before us playing them over the last year or so. So, uh, which... You know, you know, which, which, by the way, when I think about it, when I think about the the time that we take to make projects, we put we put enough time into the show itself, into Coronasphere, we could have probably made three seventy sevens albums by the amount of time, you know, that many sure. sessions. You know, it's pretty funny. That's absolutely you, true. You, you find yourself in these little niches, so uh, it's been a it's been a blessing, man, to to get that part of it established so now we got to go back to making finishing our records darn it yeah okay anyway with, without further ado hit it mike Jimmy Anderson, uh, to be perfectly frank, I found this song at random one day on YouTube. I don't know how I found it. It just appeared. I guess I was listening to some other, something else similar. And this came on and I went, man, that's a cool song. And I thought it was a contemporary thing. I thought some guy within the last few years, some blues guy did it, you know. Oh, the recording was that? That the recording, I think, was recent, but it turns out that this pr 
probably, from what I can determine from reading, uh, was a, an old church song, African-American church song that it has been morphing along the way. But I think this guy named Reverend Jimmy Anderson was the guy who probably wrote it originally, and then it's been recorded by different people, you know. Mm. But I'm really glad I found it because it's been one of the most durable of all the ones we've been working on. It's got a nice thing. I played harmonica poorly and uh, you were able to sort of rescue me on that. Which, <laughs> while, while it's in my mind, I want the audience to know that this whole hymn show thing was Bruce's idea. Um, I'm not sure how you came up with it or why. It could be that when we were starting the show, uh, the Coronasphere thing, we were starting to do hymns a little bit. Yeah, that's what we, we had our little section that was kind of a part yeah, of the show. Kind of part of the show. So it was the yeah. hymn show for short, you know. Yeah. And and I think the idea was uh, to do a, do a series. And, and it kind of all goes back to Holy Ghost Building because it's kind of the model is where you research these these things and then we yeah. bring them in and do something with them and so this was kind of it's kind of that you know nothing novel as far as our experience but uh um well i think i of course but you know the minute you suggested i said well who's going to want to hear that now we, we've already done it twice and you go what do you mean i said we did holy ghost building then i went and did a solo album of an acoustic oh, was it say your prayers no it was called uh we all gonna face the rise of the sun. The and so I thought, here we go again doing that, but it seems well, now, now it also with, made perfect sense in some way. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and I think we still, I, I think the ambition, because time is always a factor, the ambition is to get, you know, to, to get another couple records. I think, I think the plan was to do this one and then do a second. Out. Yeah, spit yeah. it out there. Yeah, and do a second one where we, kind of do the same thing so it was there was two two um volumes of this yeah because we had that many songs right and then we were going to do a third one where we started bringing in other, terry and yeah and our, all these other guys yeah. yeah 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 and and and, and do like there. more yeah more of the modern things too right you know do start covering that stuff so i'd still like to do that i still want to do it yeah um i may not want to do one like this next only because it's taken such a long time i realized wow you know we thought we could just sort of spit this thing out and i the more we got into it the more i realized you know to do it right to really do it cool you need to put a little more little more time and effort into it but you just can't avoid it man it's tough you know it's, it's got to meet the ear test you know it's got to it's crazy when our, well, when now our, I understand why Steely Dan, you know, I think they were the guys who sort of started working in that way where they would take three days on a fade or, you know, five <laughs> days on a kick sound, you know. Well, I'm I, sure a lot of that was to do with the 70s. You know, it was a time where there was a lot of money, a lot of drugs, a lot well, of... Let's, hey, but let's not... <laughs> Let's, let's not, not go there. Let's not associate any of that with what we're doing. No, I don't even think, no, I'm just I don't saying even think that, that process of taking time <laughs> in the studio, the yeah. Beatles started it, and then Steely Dan, Fleetwood Mac took it to like a extreme degree, you know? Well, well, this has been a difficult period, and it's been hard to get the applied time in. And and I think I think the I think to be satisfied with your ear is what we're talking about, not yeah. as much as the the time spent. Because I, I don't want to leave the impression that we've been sitting here 
you no. know, working over it because it's no, not, not. We, we, we've hit it when we've had the opportunity, um, more yeah. of that. That's why it's taken a while. But, but I wanted to, uh, um, also say that kind of, we, we wanted to create something for this that had its own, it was, it's, you know, it's, it's a light version of something that we might ordinarily go in the studio and kind of beef right. up a lot. So it was, it yeah. was kind of, we were kind of trying to do a version of the hand drums and, you know, yeah. something that, you know, you know what I mean? That just sure. doesn't have a real heavy footprint. Right. And that's hard for us because we're kind of, we, 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 we tend to look where we can put the heavy footprint and everything we make, you know, it's crazy. Well, it's a bit of a lighter footprint. Um, all right. So then we did this, I found this one called Pinking Shine, which okay. is another one I found on YouTube by accident. This was written by the elder Charles Beck. He was a black gospel musician and evangelist and a very prolific recording artist, recorded, recorded, recorded. And he also had a, he played a lot of different instruments, particularly boogie-woogie piano, which some say influenced rock and roll piano later. Mm. Guys like Jerry Lee Lewis and other people, Little Richard, all that stuff. Uh, this guy that wrote this was one of the originators of that particular way of attacking a piano. So uh, that I did not know. But when I hear this recording, it's just kind of goofy and fun, you know. Say you done cut whiskey out and so you have a little wine. But most everybody's getting on a drunk cause they must be drinking shine. God don't like it, I know. God don't like it, you know. God don't like it, I know. It's a scandalous and a shame. Some folks get drunk every once in a while just to ease their so-called mind. And when they get Caught in the trap, they want to put all the blame on Shine. God don't like it, I know. No, he don't like it, you know. God don't like it, I know. It's scandalous and a shame. Some men won't pay their honest debts and let the bills get behind. Draw their money out every weekend, drink it all up in Shine. Sometimes they get put in jail and have to pay a fine. Tomorrow they are drunk again for they just can't stop that shine. God don't like it, I know. No, he don't like it, you know. God don't like it, I know. It's a scandalous and a shame. I'm, I'm getting great time. I think that there's no... Are you getting it perfectly in, yeah, in time? Yeah it's, yeah, it's coming in right in time. I so mean, I go like this. Okay. All right. I can we're see good. your hand. Sometimes it's hard to see your hand. <laughs> I've never, you know, we've been talking about doing something like this for the whole time. We, I'm glad we're finally trying it. Well, the uh, last time, you know, the first time I did it with Steve, we were side by side in the picture, which was cool. Did you sing though? And then, well, then the next one with Mark, whatever the setting was, it kept going back between us every time we'd talk. So I'm just hoping like, like heck, that this one isn't going to have an issue like that because uh, we're both making noise and the thing's just going to be going nuts. I don't think it'll stay. It looks really good to me. I've seen a black screen, you on the left, me on the right. I'm twice as big, but that's because you're on a phone and I'm on a computer. Yeah. So 
we'll see well, how it goes. Yeah, hopefully it'll it'll turn out good. Well, here's a wonderful song that's dear to my heart. Um, I heard it as a child. My grandparents sang it in church, and they recorded it on one of those little recordio home oh, wow. recorders back in the 1940s. Uh, there wasn't tape or anything, but some people could buy a little machine that would actually cut a disc at 78 on a piece of, I don't know if it was shellac or metal or what it was, but it went, it, and it would play sometimes from the inside of the record to the outside, but they were noisy as heck, you know, and some lady in, in, in my grandparents' church had one of these things, and so wow. she, she brought it over, and they, I've got a recording of my grandparents singing this, and you know, we all sang it at my grandma's funeral, and everyone's like blubbering, you know. And then uh, I'd love to get I'd love to get a hold of one of those. Oh, I yeah, I don't know if they exist anymore. That's but, like something that you'd see Jack White on a video. Oh, absolutely. Of, well, if anyone's got one, he's got it. Because I got when we got to go inside Third Man, he was collecting all those recording booths from all over the world. The kind that was at the Did you ever oh, go to Santa Cruz? Remember when they used to have those? Yeah, you'd sit in there and you'd cut step in there. Yeah. You'd put a little money in, and then you'd record yourself for like a minute, and then out would drop this little record. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he was all about that for a minute. Uh, anyway, it's called In the Garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on. And the voice I hear Falling on my ear The Son of God discloses And He walks with me And He talks with me And He tells me I am and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever <laughs> written by another like, prolific gospel writer named c austin miles that's like being uh, in a uh an old movie you know a gene autry movie or you know um oh who was the other there's another another famous yeah tom mix uh roy rogers uh roy rogers gospel, yeah so many of them and you know a lot of those singing cowboys did start incorporating gospel songs into their presentation, particularly during the 40s and 50s. And I grew up in that era hearing those cowboys singing, you know, how do I know the Bible tells me so, you know? And that was one of the first songs that, uh, how does it, it goes, if you have faith, hope, and charity, that's the way to live successfully. How do I know the Bible tells me so? So 
when I was a little boy, I was singing that at my grandma's house because she played the piano and organ and they got this bright idea. Okay, let's have little Michael sing this at church on a Sunday night in front of the whole church. Oh, wow. And I was going, no, no, you know, and they were going, I'll tell you what, if you do that, we'll buy you a, a copy of How Much Is That Doggy in the Window by Patty Page, which was a hit record at the time that I wanted wow. to hear. How much is that doggy in the window? Well, one with the waggedy tail. Remember that? Did you ever hear? Yeah, who, that did, did, the, did the guy who does all the dog songs produce that? Remember, remember <laughs> that guy? You know what I'm talking about? He did no. all those songs. Oh, with the, the guy was doing the singing roof, roof, roof. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Bells and all that. He did a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, know, no. I, I got to no. I gotta lock him down. No, it wasn't that. No, it was just Patty Page. It was a big Mike, hit. oh my gosh, your story. I mean, you're, those are picture book, like, Living in the fifties, man. I mean, or you know, was that is that was that nineteen? That would have been in nineteen fifty-five or six. Seven, oh my gosh! And what like a that. what a story, man. They you well, they wanted you to sing. They they wanted to goad you into singing at church, and they promised to get you. How much says that doggy in the window? So yes, then, but, and that was this was how all the micro. This is how the Doc Love legacy started. Well, it's a haunting, painful memory because when they finally got me up there. <laughs> I refused to sing. My grandma's sitting there going, mm, you know, she's pushing the organ forward, waiting. And I'm just sitting there, you know, diddling with the little, you know, there was. Oh, a, man, that's a screenplay, bro. Oh, it was awful. No, it was like watching that scene from, you know, Christmas Story or whatever, you know, and it, I just wouldn't do it. And uh, boy, I got, yeah, I really caught hell for that. But I think eventually they did get me the record anyway, because I think I just threw a fit you know <laughs> they got you the record they did anyway which isn't really well, what wasn't about really what, the right that was one of the few times when the uh punishment wasn't carried through well uh, i mean did what well, well, but it doesn't the story go eventually i got the nerve to go ahead and sing for everybody and it's like it's like that just tells the tale so much it's like eventually i got the record i got the record but i wouldn't <laughs> sing it well ah, you know, it's scary geez. i mean so you never you never sang? You I don't think I did. No. Oh. No. Okay. Wow. I think they were so humiliated by the fact that they told everyone I was going to do it. Well, you know what? I mean, you put a three-year-old up there to sing. It's like three years old. I was only three. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. You were aware. Funny. You were aware of that record. You wanted oh, that yeah. record. Wow. You were. You were. You were. Uh, just came out of the womb, being in the, being in the business, huh? Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> It, just had an affinity for that. Well, it caused a lot of pain. You know, when you have a kid that little that's into this, it was a lot of consternation with my parents on that because I was so consumed with it, it scared them. They didn't understand. They were going, he's not supposed to be listening to rock and roll. He's supposed to be listening to church songs and kiddie songs. I listened to everything, but I heard this that you know that hit parade stuff really got under my skin and and they didn't quite know how to handle me you know so it, it started kind of this little civil war that would eventually work its way out but uh yeah it was weird for a young kid to be into that but you know here we are that's, still that's, doing it that's that's a how the hit parade got under my skin yeah <laughs> so Tell me All about right. the next one. Well, there's In the Sweet By and By, which uh, is a great tune. Everybody um, knows that. Now, this one, this one blew me away. It was written by a guy named Joseph Webster. He wrote the music, 
and another guy named Sanford Bennett wrote the lyrics. This guy lived during the antebellum Civil War period. He also wrote The Wildwood Flower. He wrote a lot of those kinds of songs. And he was goaded into writing this song by the, uh, uh, the lyricist because this guy was a sort of a melancholic and he, had, he was just going, I don't want to do it. You know, it's kind of like when you and I work and you trying to get me to do something. I just go, no, I don't want to do that. And you just gently keep persuading and then eventually I get all into it. That's kind of how these guys came up with this tune. And he wrote this tune that's been a, you know, a standard for years. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites on the album, too. It features all three 77s in a rockabilly Sun recording, Sun Records kind of style. And uh, as you know, Bruce, this is one of the better ones on the record. It's great. So we'll see. There's a land that is fairer than the day. And by faith, we can see. For the Father waits over on the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore It's weird, man. Your vocals are either you're singing kind of in a round to me, or your parts are coming in like in some weird Late. thing. It says there probably is some delay coming off my computer or something like that. But um, well, you know, I I think I think one of the notable things about that was that little that little thing of the the little kid from the fifties who had ring and your little your tongue your tongue stuck out of your mouth. You're all. Mm. I'll tell you who does that. Have you ever watched Derry? Derry Doherty? No, he's play? a he's a he's a tongue he's cider a, guy. Yeah, he, <laughs> it's great. It's it's a you know whatever it takes to get the note. You know you know how it is on drums, man. I watch you and you're just like ah. oh, you get a little bit of a Buddy Rich, a little bit of Keith Moon, a little bit of uh, yeah, a little given birth here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and you know, um, whatever it takes to get the body to do it, you know. Well, I and I think I think, uh, you know, it's it's what it takes for us to remain those little kids, because I think I think this stuff keeps us one foot in the playground always, you know, keeps us from keeps us from maturing. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And I think music has actually has a healing property on the brain and body. If you continue, if you consume it regularly and in a deep way i do believe that it helps align you know i don't want to get all kooky about this but i think that it has a way of keeping you healthy and younger and it's good for you i just think it's really good i think it's a real good it harmonizes your body the same way it does your soul you know aside from destroying your joints and your hearing <laughs> well if you play guitar too loud or you play drums physically like you do yeah i mean 
it, everything breaks down. But hey, you still can play. It's not like you're not like Phil Collins yet, poor sap. Ooh, well, no, I don't plan to be. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get off it. You know, before I do that, before I get there, going there. Well, but I don't know that it was it his playing that caused it, or did he just have back trouble? Yeah, I don't know. I it, judging by his posture, maybe he, he caused it. But you know, but but this is. We're just we're now, now we're getting into the, the therapeutic need and spiritual need for these songs. Yeah, let's not go there. Let's stay let's on not the go uh, too far. All let's right, stay well, on let's the fascination of creating the record. All right, well, here's "Praise God, I'm Satisfied," which uh, it's uh, just a traditional church gospel song. Blind Willie Johnson did it. Yeah, and I'd never heard it before. We we did this. I don't know that I'd heard it before I heard him do it. I think I'd heard something like it. There's a lot of "I'm Satisfied"s in the gospel tradition. But this one, I don't know if I'd heard it quite the same way. Now, of course, I couldn't sing in his guttural uh, Tuvan throat singer way, but I tried. <laughs> A one, two, three. Praise God, I'm satisfied. came out good on the recording too for sure all right let's do uh oh gosh where's my cake oh, hold on station identification is, uh, is this your apartment here or is this your home this is my house your, your house and you got your uh you got your cool little recording set up with your vocal shield thing there yeah that's the what they call a mud guard and uh you can see the 414 up and behind the little gauze there and i got this big stinking stand that i got from guitar center and, and then you've got a little office space you know you got a little is that a little piano there there's or a, a piano. Piano. yeah there's a kimball oh nice my grandma's old piano you play it uh, a little bit i need to get it tuned it, it kind of doesn't like to stay you know you know how pianos are they're kind of fussy mm -hmm. 
I got my mom's keyboard too, which I need to get it set up because that would be, that's something I could actually record with. And those some big, you got big stereo speakers back there in the back? Is that what yeah, I Yeah, that's my stereo. I haven't, uh, I used to use that uh, for checking mixes and stuff, but I don't have it, I don't have it hooked up currently, but it's, it's on my to-do list, you know. Hey, hey, have you, have you not been spending much time around your house? I mean, based on the fact that you have a Christmas tree still up there? Um, well, that that tree, <laughs> what happened with that, that was my wife's tree that she got from Starbucks, and we would decorate it differently through the year. You know, we oh. did Fourth of July tree, and then and oh. we kind of slacked off this year a little bit, so it's it hasn't been redecorated in like a, a while. It's a COVID tree right it's now. It's a COVID tree, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, and of course, and the traditional, uh, what, what what's the uh, the lava lamp of course yeah always the lava lamp tells me if i got the take right if the lamp loves it then i know it's right in fact good good i i, I buy that that's okay. great i learned that from john flanagan at plaid jacket <laughs> jad placket <laughs> i was thinking about that the other day for those of you who don't know john flanagan ran a studio called plaid jacket where we recorded safe as milk Tom Tom Blues, and the third one was the Love Coma uh, Language of Fools album, and then we stopped working over there. But uh, great, great guys, man. Him and him and Guy Niosi and man, I mean, do you talk? Do you talk to those guys? I haven't talked to him in a long time, but when I think of how we technically recorded with, it was. One third digital, two thirds analog, chaining an analog machine, a 16 what? track to a digital computer. And it was a real crude early version of digital recording. Well, now, now you would, you would, uh, well, we'd cut that at Paradise. The, the, yeah, we cut the, the basic here. tracks at, at Paradise, like we did. And we'd go over to Plaid Jacket and work, and then you would rent an Apogee converter. Yes, that's right. To record, that's what made it sound amazing. Because those that digital converter was amazing, and uh, you bet, man, that that saved our bacon. All right, so softly and tenderly is another uh, church song I grew up with. It, it's called an invitation song, which is a little bit like uh, "Just as I Am" without one plea. You know, if you were, you go to any meeting where they would have the invitation to come forward and give your life to Christ. Right, right. There were songs written specifically for that experience. This was from the 19th century. This guy who wrote this wrote gospel songs, secular songs, patriotic songs. You know, he was a tunesmith. And in those days, there were a lot of guys like that who wrote songs to order. They basically wrote for whatever the situation was, whatever it took. And this is one of the most enduring of all hymns. It's called Softly and Tenderly. All right, here we go. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you.
calling Oh sinner It was that old. I mean, you know, written in the 1800s. So I always convinced myself that all these songs that I grew up with were written only maybe 20, 30 years before I heard them. But some of these go way back. Who'd have thunk this rock trio that was banging out songs at Canal Street would be doing songs from the 1800s? <laughs> well, it's, it has, I don't think it's the first time. <laughs> Uh, oh, okay. Here's one that I like a lot. This one is called Strange Things Happening Every Day. And uh, I found out that that is also a traditional uh, spiritual sung in black churches for years and years. And Sister Rosetta Tharp, who was one of the sort of, they say, progenitors of rock and roll. She, right, she played right. electric guitar and was just badass. I mean, there's no other word for it. it didn't we have, we had a little shot of her. Yeah. In the cabin or something, doing something. Uh, she recorded this in 1944 towards the end of the war. And it had, it was a crossover hit. It went from being a, a weird race record, blues gospel record to a hit record. And some say it was my possibly be one of the first rock and roll records technically so a one a two a three Ooh, here church people say they're in this holy way they're strangely happening every day on that last great judgment when they drive them all away There's strange things happening every day Every day Every day Yeah There's strange things happening every day
So I don't know if you've heard Mark wax endlessly about this to you, but Mark will call me up and just go on and on and on about how this thing bounces. Remember how I told you, I said, man, this thing's got to bounce, it bounces. You know, it's got that rockabilly bounce, which is hard to get, you know, to get that tick, 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 and where the, you know, the bass is moving through it and, and it's not drag. It, the trick is to not get it to fall into a shuffle per se, but a bouncy shuffle, which has a little bit more thump and uh, movement, you know, rather than, yeah, you know, your standard shuffle, it's a boom, 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 you know, feels like it's always moving forward. Well, he heard our mix of this and it just floored him. He just, because remember when I was getting all excited as the mix was coming together and I said, Bruce has got the bounce, listen to that, listen to that, you know, and well, he'll, he'll call me and just talk about it for 10, 15 minutes. Just, I can't believe we got it to bounce like that. I just, I just love that, you know, and on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> that NRBQ type thing, you know what I'm saying? The things that consume you when you're sitting by yourself in North Carolina I and your band's in California. Well, you know, I think he kind of thought he was disappearing off the record. And in point of fact, you know, some of those things he played ended up becoming crucial to the vibe of how the thing moved, you know? So yeah. there are, yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are classic 77s tracks hidden within this little Coronasphere record. I just want you to know. So I want every one of you to buy it just on that basis alone, because no 77s fan should be without this record, you know? But we didn't want this to be, remember, we didn't want this to be our next 77s record. Right. Yeah. We wanted it to be a Coronasphere thing, but you're gonna get 77s whether you like it or not. <laughs> Unavoidable. No, and it's not a bad thing to get, because when it's good, it's really good. Uh, now, here's one of my favorite stories of all. Uh, this one was written by our friend Mylon Lefevre, and Mylon wrote this. Well, first of all, Mylon grew up in a gospel singing family. His, the, the Lefevres were famous in the South. They traveled around and sang at churches and all night sings and all that kind of stuff. And Mylon got dragged along with them because he was their kid. Well, when he was 17, he sat down and wrote this song in like 20 minutes. I don't know why he wrote it. And he sang it. I think they asked him, they said, we need a, a special tune for you to sing tonight, you know? And so he came up with this thing and threw it together. And they had a concert and he sang it. He did not know that Elvis Presley was in the audience at the time. Mm -hmm. And by the time this happened, Elvis was already an established star. In fact, it, this happened in the 1960s, not in the dim 50s. This happened mid-60s. Uh, Milan was still very young at the time. So Elvis, when it was over, Elvis was completely floored by this tune. And he tried to get backstage to meet Milan. And they met. And Elvis says, you know, I'd like to record this. And so he did. And he put it on an album called How Great Thou Art, which was his second gospel record. It won a Grammy. The album won a Grammy. And Mylon got sent $90,000 for his royalty share. Now, in 1966, $90,000 was a crap ton of money. And he sure. went out and bought the fanciest car he could, you know, 
the car that Elvis bought for me, right? And, uh, but what Mylon didn't know was gonna happen is that because of the popularity of this record, numerous people started recording it, one person after another, country guys, gospel guys. It became a gospel standard and it made Mylon a very rich young man, which kind of in a way spelled his demise for a while. He, he kind of went off the deep end but eventually found his way back and now he's gospel singer like he grew up to be. And he, along the way, he jammed with Mick Jagger. That's right. <laughs> We've already told that story. We don't need to tell it again. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I would be drifting like a ship without a Plays itself, man. Plays itself. So. My goodness. It's like, <laughs> gosh, at 17, I was lucky to just play a blues lick, you know? The people that are going to be playing here tonight are, it's, it's the core of it, of course, is Mylon Lefevre, but uh, he has a band back in Atlanta, Georgia named Broken Heart, and it, they couldn't come out at the last minute, some things turned out, and so... We worked it out where the 77s have been rehearsing with him for the last three days, and they put together a set of music, and we're really excited about it. So would you welcome Mylon Lefebvre.
so dear Well, I know he came in He answered my prayer One day Jesus made a way for me Yes, he did Yeah One day the sun refused to shine In that simple heart of mine I prayed for night and day My Savior would make my way another one uh, that I grew up with, uh, kind of with the cowboy way a little bit. Um, George Bernard, he was a Methodist evangelist and song leader. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old 
cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Soon we'll come to the end of life's journey. Perhaps we'll never meet anymore Till we gather in heaven's bright city Far away on that beautiful shore If we never meet again this side of As we struggle through this world and its strife, there's another meeting place somewhere in heaven by the side of the river of life, where the charming roses bloom forever. Where separations come no more If we never meet again This side of heaven I will meet you on that beautiful shore Did you have some trouble there? I saw you cut out there for a minute. Yeah, my uh, power on my unit here was getting low, so I had to go get a, get a power unit to power it up. Crazy land and, and editing a bunch of stuff together. I think we got through the Aaron stuff. We got through kind of a few things, and uh, we're going to go back to tried and true live performance yeah. starting next week. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So, so thanks for your patience and bearing with us. And I, and I know if you, if you're still with us on this show right now, if you're still watching this, <laughs> then you're, you're one of our people, man. You're already in this. So that, so we're, we're, we're doing this together. You know, what's going on here. <laughs> Absolutely. This is just, it's just craziness, man. We're, we're hoping we didn't get too sidetracked, but it has been a, an unprecedented run, so I, I guess, you know, it's a lot to ask to uh, to keep up 64 weeks of performances. It's kind of a long-running show. It's, it's quite a, uh, it's quite, what, what do you call it? It's quite a residency. Yes. Uh, yeah, tell it to the people on Broadway that do a show for, you know, 30 years. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, well, 
we're, we're but they, they have people who come in and and uh and sub for them right well you know i knew that eventually we would take a some kind of little break and so this has been it and you know we'll try to keep it going as long as we can because it is fun and we we love the interaction with you guys in a way that we haven't been able to do ever since i started doing music with these guys i mean i would have never thought to do a weekly anything so it's been uh, a lot of fun and we've been talking about it um once we're we're back in the flow once we get finished with this thing we really want to concentrate on getting a new 77's record done and getting this uh, safe as milk catalog together because there's a lot more a lot more vibes man that we we have our mind on and and the show's going to be a nice opportunity to be showing some of that stuff and just staying in touch with the audience i think you know with and with the new things that are on mezzo coming up or you know the whole COVID thing just kind of kind of blew it all up and uh i think we're we're getting our sea legs back under us so that's a good school. way to put it yeah uh yeah you know it keeps my hand in i mean it's it actually forces me to sing and play publicly every week which you know a lot of times i don't do i mean you have been doing it you and mark did it forever around town i just haven't been out playing as much so no yeah, we I, get to, I play at church you know but yeah, we well, we most of the things we were doing, yeah, like we did the whole alloy field thing, which was never really going out and playing. It was just a studio thing to kind of have fun with. But now I'm 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 actually going to be starting to record my first solo album of you know, pick ten out of the three hundred songs I have. That's and too many. <laughs> wow. I, I, no, I think we're going to be well. I mean, because I write all the time, but uh, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it here. Um, starting in august i think i'm i i have the plans to get in the studio and uh, this so this show has been a nice opportunity to get a little chance to sing and stretch out as a singer a little bit but the other thing is i want to we were discussing and i think i'm going to title it uh the the official unmixed unmastered unfinished uh, collection right because everything we do is unfinished yeah incomplete and unmastered yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel I felt that was that was finally the way to conquer the 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 fear of the high expectations. Yeah, it's just going to be it's going to be the unmixed, unmastered, unfinished right. collection. <laughs> Maybe we need to just do the patron thing and just you know fart out all our stuff like that. I mean, it's like you know. Sometimes. Yeah, it's a weird thing. We're 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 going through that right now because we're we're busy getting the vector stuff together and and doing the you know, doing the release on the label, which, and then we're going directly to the streaming services and we're talking about, you know, the efficacy of just how many CDs to mass produce and things like that, you know, just, just what people want. And I think we're coming to the idea that we want to produce something that has, that the fans can get a handle on and collect, you know, yeah. especially support us by collecting those things. Not the idea that that's the medium that everybody's going to go and take to listen to. Yeah. I think they just kind of want us uh, want a uh, collection, you know, a, you know, a collectible. Uh, well, medium. in a lot of ways, the concept of the twelve-song album is isn't is outdated. I mean, it's a beautiful concept, and I'll never tire of it. No, I won't. I, that's I like, what I grew I up like with. Yeah, but no, I, I think like today's audiences, especially younger, are about constant content you know it's in a stream and you're floating downstream grabbing things rather than having this formalized p3 
piece of art, you know, it could be that there may be some medium in between there where you hear that people develop the thing, you get to hear the demos, you get to hear the, the song in process, and then the finished art is the one that you put on a piece of plastic or something, you know, I don't know. Well, it's Interac I, 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 interactive. I think it's like a like a novel. I, I think I think all those are kind of ways to discover. But I think once you discover, you you want you want to have something you can wrap your head around. Put your stamp on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To take you want you want somebody's art to to cover an hour. You know, you don't just sure. want to go down and see them sing one song, you know? Right. Like people that are watching this. I mean, they love this right now. <laughs> I hope so. Oh, it's just, it's Don't the greatest thing luck. ever. Don't push your luck, pal. Us talking is like the greatest thing ever. Where oh, we, yeah, where right. I, I'm kidding because we have our, our fans that love us have totally scolded us for talking. So totally. they obviously, they obviously don't love that too much. But hey, well, let's hey, man. Wrap, why don't we wrap this thing up? Because I, I got to go. But, uh, you know, it's been great. And uh, I'm going to finish hey, off that, with. What's that we'll little timer say? With, what's how that? long we been? How long have we been doing this? How long? Is I think this... it's been an hour. I think it's really close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, give us, give us. So, where are we in the songs? How much we got left? Well, I'm gonna just do uh, this last one. The Bible's right. Um, Sister O. M. Terrell. She was an itinerant Holy Ghost preacher evangelist. She played bottleneck blues, slide guitar. She recorded six sides for Columbia Records in 1953 and never recorded again. Can you believe it? I mean, how... That's a great story right there. I well, how great. easy was it to get a deal with Columbia? Not that easy, but Columbia recorded her. Uh, I think contracts were a little bit more loosey-goosey in those days, especially if you were doing blues and gospel. They kind of looked at you sort of as a marginal thing. Let's just make a quick buck and get out. But it was her choice to stop. She just got more focused on being a preacher and decided she didn't want to record anymore. But man, I stumbled on her stuff on the internet and found this song and went, this is cool, you know. One, two, three. I know the Bible right, somebody wrong. The Bible's right, somebody wrong. Bible's right, somebody wrong, God knows you're wrong. Tell you once, tell you twice, you can't get to heaven with another man's wife. I know the Bible right, Bible right, the Bible right, oh yes, Bible's right, oh yes, somebody wrong. tell you what you can't do you can't tell lies and go there too I know the Bible right Bible right the Bible right Ooh, the Bible right Ooh, somebody wrong Tobacco chewers, when you get to heaven, you won't have nowhere to spit. 
I said it's right. I got the Bible right. Ooh, the Bible right. Somebody wrong. I mean, you're wrong. There you go, man. Man, what, right. a treat, what a treat being able, to, being able to do that stuff, man. It's so cool. That was the one take on the album. That was it. You know, I, I, I got to say that that stuff, you know, when we played like blues, blues, you know, casuals and stuff over the years with different people. And when people go and they do a blues thing live, you know, a lot of it tends to be kind of a familiar catalog, you know. Um, so this thing is neat because there's a few special things in there that, um, you know, I, I know we could go and sit on a stage and just pull them out and rock those things, you know, like at Telluride or various places. You could just just whip that out and just gut it out and it'd be great, you know. So well, no one's heard it a million times. Yeah, it's really it's really great to be working on, you know, a memorializing a, a, a updated calendar of old traditional hymn stuff and then some things like that that you know you know over time man that's 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 some gutsy material that that you know is lost to history unless people go ahead and do like you've done man pull it out of the ash heap of you well know. you know we did that with holy ghost building and i did it with my other one the rising sun we're doing it again so maybe we are music historians maybe that's part of our job is to go find stuff and get it out and say look at this man somebody did this thing it just been laying around you know and here it is you know I, you know when you mentioned the ken burns thing which i i loved his civil war thing obviously and all the things he does so i i can just imagine uh how great that that music history one is you're talking about uh, is it bluegrass blues uh, country, country music country music um but yeah, I, I, so I, I guess at the end of this here, I would probably say that, you know, if you're still hanging with this, then you're, you're a part of our scene and you understand what we're trying to do and you have an appreciation for what we do. Um, not just the records we make or the fact that we're kind of crazy characters, um, but that, you know, kind of the heart and soul of what we're trying to do a lot of times um, is not lost on you. And uh, I, I think that that is a very legitimate thing to have brought up about that's one of our one of our things we've kind of fallen into that makes a lot of sense and you being the guy you are i mean you're you're a walking talking music history you're a gem of music history man i mean you know i as just a as just a fan and observer of your life you know i don't have anything to say that's anything like you you know it's just great to be a to be a fan and observe you and i think that that is a mission that um you know, we probably don't take ourselves seriously enough. You know, that's something that people who live in the big city probably go get a grant for doing these kind of things. And, you know, we haven't really kind of put any energy into yeah. that type of thing. And I, I think it's something that we're, we're always do it first and, you know, don't talk about it as right. much. Well, and and I, I think this has been a, or just, this has been a nice, uh, nice road to go down. And I think we've just scratched the surface of it. And I think if, if there's an incentive for people to, you know, contact us and support us and support our mission. 
I think there's something really valuable in that. I think, I think we should probably be, you know, once we get this thing done and keep moving on our little stuff, I, I think we should be thinking more about that and, and trying to formalize that, that mission for ourselves. I think, I think it really fits us, you know. You probably go into colleges and do it, you know, instead of doing it in, in a classroom, uh, we're doing it here, so. But anyway, let's, we should do a sign off. Okay. Bruce Spencer, Doc Love, till next week. So long. Hey.